Well, good morning again. How's everyone doing? If you could take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 1, we're going to be in also Matthew 21, but in Revelation chapter 1, uh, continue in our series, Do Not Be Afraid, Alive Forever. Um, over the years in ministry, that I've been in ministry, God has always had a, had a time of putting me in situations that I'm not real comfortable with, and where I feel like I'm over my head, and many times when I feel like that, as soon as you feel like that, you say, I don't want to do it, right? I don't want to do it. And, and it's always good, though, when God has done that. He places me in those situations. Because in those situations, he wants us to rely on him. And he did that to me many years ago when he asked me to go to a short-term mission trip in, to Thailand. And I wasn't real excited about going. And Because on that mission trip, one of the things that I had to do there was I had to speak to a, a group of pastor and missionaries they were going to plant or start churches or, or were leading churches. And the first thing that came to me is, what do I have to offer them? And what can I possibly offer to these gentlemen that have sacrificed and given up so much, much more than I have for the gospel of Jesus Christ? To give up their families and their homes and to go to places that were going to be hostile to the gospel that's around Thailand. We're going to hostile the gospel of Jesus Christ. What can I possibly share with them is what I kept saying. It was over my head, I thought. But I, I was convinced that God wanted, that it was something he wanted me to do. So I went, and went there, and went there to the mission trip, and I did it. And it was such a blessing. I have to say it was such a blessing to speak to those men. But I'm wondering, have you ever been in that situation in your own life? Where you've been in a place where you said, man, God, I'm over my head. You sure you got the right person? You sure you got the right person you want to do this? And you maybe ask, this task is too much for me. It's too great for me. And I'm not sure if I can pull this off on my own. I'm not sure if I can do this. That's what I want to speak to you today, because in those situations, they can cause great fear in our lives, right? In the midst of those, we hear the voice of God saying, do not be afraid. And our passage in our series that we've been going through is Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, just two verses. We're just going to be at that passage just for a short moment this, this morning, then we're going to turn on to Matthew 21. But the context, I don't know if you remember the context, Jesus is standing there in the midst of those seven golden lampstands representing the seven churches of Asia Minor, and he's holding in his hand the stars or the messengers, perhaps the angels or perhaps the pastors or of those seven churches, and John sees the glory of Jesus. He sees Jesus in all of his holiness, and the Bible says he falls on his, on his face as though dead. As we would well if we stand in the presence of a holy God, we would fall on our faces though dead. And feeling the touch of Jesus himself, he says this, Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. He says, when I saw him, saw Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. Who in the world would be so audacious to say, I hold the keys to death in Hades? You ever think about that? He says, I hold the keys to death in Hades. Aren't you glad that Jesus holds the keys to death in Hades? I've had a lot of people over the years that said they wish I'd go there. I don't know about you. And I'm so glad that they didn't hold the keys to death in Hades, aren't you? But aren't you glad that Jesus holds the keys to death in Hades? How could he say that? Because of who he is and, and what he had done. He created all things, and all things are his, and all things belong to him. That Jesus has all authority, and he created this world with this powerful word by his authority. And then he left the splendors of heaven to come to this earth, to die on the cross, and God the Father on that cross placed all of my sins, 
your sins, the sins of the entire world upon Jesus, and he died. And in his death, he saw death conquer. And now he lives forever and ever, Jesus does. And Jesus, the Bible says, holds the keys to death and Hades. All that means is Jesus says, I have authority over all things, including death and Hades, including death and hell is what he's saying. Let me illustrate the authority of Jesus. If you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, it's the first book of the New Testament. Um, the authority of Jesus removes all fear. Do you believe that? The authority of Jesus removes all fear in your life. The account I'm referencing this morning takes us back that at Palm Sunday morning, uh, Jesus had already walked 100 miles, and now he's about ready to enter, enter into the city of Jerusalem. And you have to picture this. It's a beautiful picture, but I'm trying to give you the picture this morning so you can understand this passage. It's early on Sunday morning. The Mount of Olives is east of the city of Jerusalem. It's, you go up this large hill, this large hill that goes up, but at the bottom of that hill is the city of Jerusalem that spreads out. It just spreads out the city of Jerusalem. And, and the city of Jerusalem is made of kind of white limestone. So when the sun shines upon the city of Jerusalem, it looks golden. And the city of Jerusalem was often called the Golden City. So Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives uh, on that Palm Sunday, just days before he's going to be crucified on that Friday. And so I want you to put yourself there this morning. To kind of imagine yourself, you're there, you're watching Jesus. He's ready to descend down the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem. And that's where we pick up Matthew chapter 21. You got the picture? Jesus is ready to come down to that golden city, to the city of Jerusalem. He's about ready to come, and then Matthew 21, verse 1 through 9. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there and her colt by her, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that, that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Prophecy. Verse 6, The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. For crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. If you have your outlines, I'm going to give you three things concerning the authority of Jesus. The first one I want you to see, worship Jesus who has all authority. I want you to think about that. All authority. Worship Jesus who has all authority. What gives a person the authority to say, go up ahead and if you see that donkey in a coat, I want you to take them. I want you to bring them to me. What gives a person authority? There are really two groups of people here. We need to understand the difference. It's really under, for us to understand the difference that's going on here. Jesus was traveling with a crowd of Galileans. Uh, that was from the northern part of Israel called Galilee. Uh, they were traveling with Jesus. And, and the, the Galileans weren't asking the question, who is Jesus? They knew who he was. They knew who Jesus was. They knew that. They understood that. Inside the city of Jerusalem, where people of Jerusalem, the, the people inside Jerusalem, they weren't sure who Jesus was. They were asking all the questions. Who is this guy and all this? Because they were looking for a king, somebody who had authority, and they were looking at Jesus wondering, could he be the one? And they were looking for somebody to deliver them, uh, for anybody, but not to deliver them from, from sin, from Satan, from religion, 
but deliver them from the Romans. Because the Romans were the oppressors of the land. The Romans were, controlled their land. And, and now they wanted to have their sovereignty back. So they were looking for anybody, somebody, whoever it might be, that might deliver them. And along comes Jesus. And the crowds were kind of attracted to him. And they thought, is this the guy? Could this be the guy that could deliver us from the Romans? And the, and the people inside of the city of Jerusalem were wondering that. So they put their faith in Jesus because of that reason. And, and, and they're, they're Jesus, but that was never his mission. Jesus' mission, the Bible says he came to seek and save the world, seek and save those who were lost, right? And so he was fighting a bigger battle and building a bigger kingdom than one that could be located in a city or, or a country. He was building a huge kingdom, right? That's what he was doing. When we read that Jesus, he already walked 100 miles, but now he couldn't walk one more mile. I mean, what's the deal when you think about the colt and the donkey? What's the deal? Was Jesus too tired? Was he exhausted? He couldn't walk that extra mile? No, that wasn't the issue. See, it was to fulfill what the prophets had talked about. Zechariah and Isaiah had said that Jesus would come in humility, riding on a donkey, and coming down the hill, and people would recognize that this is the promised Messiah. So when Jesus commissioned those animals to be retrieved, he was saying, I'm the one. I'm the one that's been promised. I'm the promised Messiah is what he was saying to them. And the people responded. They understood what he was saying. They understood what was happening. The people responded by throwing their coats down. They responded by worshiping him and shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Oh, God, save us, deliver us. They were all for that. That's what they wanted. The worship, the praise right then was incredible. It was incredible. As it rang out in those early morning hours in the city of Jerusalem, everyone was worshiping him, and Jesus came down the Mount of Olives. So we need to understand, worship Jesus who has all authority. That was the same then. Today's the same for us. Worship Jesus who has all authority. Just to let you understand, he has all authority. Do you understand? He has all authority on heaven and earth. He has all authority in the universe. He has all authority. You and I don't give him authority. Jesus has all authority. Nothing happens in this world without his authority. Do you understand that? He has all, absolute, all authority Jesus has. That's what the Bible is saying. The second thing concerning the authority of Jesus, since he has all authority, it goes right into the second one. It should be obvious for us. Stand under the umbrella of his authority. That you and I need to stand under the umbrella of his authority. Jesus has all authority. And if we really believe that, if we really believe that, perhaps it's going to reshape our picture of Jesus and our picture of God, of who he is. And who is he that can take some animals that weren't his, just say, go get those animals, but they really are his, right? Psalm 24, verse 1 tells us this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and the world, all who live in it. So everything is his, everything is Jesus. That Jesus has all authority, and I want you to just focus on that he has all authority we've been singing those songs for a year that he has jesus has all authority do you believe that though do you really believe that jesus has all authority and therefore we don't have to live in fear in this life because jesus has all authority right i wonder how many times that you and i have tried to bargain with jesus we come we want to bargain with him we we may be in a tough time in our life in a difficult situation maybe one of those times that are difficult the way above our pay grade right they're overwhelmed by the situation. Maybe it can be a health reason or someone else is sick or maybe it's a job. Maybe it's financial difficulties. We're facing something. And we pray something like this. You ever hear you say, say something like this? Lord, if you can get me out of this, I'll give you this. Lord, if you get me out of this, 
I'll give you this. I'll do this or I'll do that. Have you ever, you ever prayed that? Lord, get me honest, I'll do this. Have you ever considered a God in heaven and say, wow, well, I never, I, that's quite an offer. And I really need what you have. You ever think God's seen it? I mean, what could, what could you say in order to make God say, I really need what you have? I mean, what could you possibly say to God that, I, that he would say, boy, I really need what you have? You know what it is? There's nothing. Absolutely nothing that God needs from you and I, including us. He does not need you and I. He doesn't need anything from God has everything he needs, right? Does God need us to accomplish his purposes? No, absolutely not. He does not need us. God is absolutely, absolutely complete. And he doesn't need anything. He's sovereign. He reigns. He's king. Therefore, he has all authority. And he doesn't need anything from us. So for us to make a bargain with him, it doesn't make sense because he doesn't need. When you're bargaining, saying, God, you need, you've got something I need, and I, I've got something you need, and so it, it doesn't work that way. He doesn't need anything. Therefore, it's incumbent on us to make sure that he has authority in our life. If he has all authority, does he? Amen? Does God have all authority? Amen. And if he has all authority, it's incumbent on us to give him authority in our own lives, right? Is it possible that we want to recognize uh, the sovereign God, that he's king, that he has authority, and yet in our own little kingdom in which we live, our own little domain in which we have, we say, Lord, this is mine. Don't touch it. This is my life. This is mine. Don't touch it. Keep your hands off of it. This is my time. These are my finances. This is my house. This is my thought life. This is my television. I'll watch whatever programs I want. I'll use whatever language I want. This is my time. I'll do what I want. So we acknowledge the authority of Jesus in theory and principle only instead of making him the Lord of our lives, right? Is it possible that we're doing that? We're quite happy to make him Savior because of all what that means in our life, but to make him Savior without making him Lord is to distort the person of Jesus. And it's not discipleship. Jesus is Lord. We don't make him Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. And it's just that we come to recognize that's who he is, and then we make him Lord of our lives. We yield our lives to him, right? So when he says he has all authority, what my question is, does he? Does he have all authority in your life? Is there something in your life that he does not have authority over, that you've kind of held back and said, this is mine? If it is, today yield it to him. Because he has authority, whether you realize it or not. Stop fighting Jesus and just say, Jesus, I'll just give it to you. Because you have authority. Your will is going to be accomplished one way or the other, right? And when we understand that, we yield it to him. The third thing concerning the authority of Jesus, where Jesus says, I hold the keys to death in Hades, understand, number three, understand that he has given us authority. And sometimes we forget that, that he's given us authority. He says to two disciples, go ahead and you will see a donkey and a colt and take them. Can you imagine trying that today? That you'd go up to the car dealership and said, hey, I need the keys to that Corvette up there. And they say, why, you want to test drive it? Uh, sort of, I'll bring it back. So what, what do you need it for? The Lord needs it. Try that today, and I promise you, if you do that, I'll come visit you, right? <laughs> see what people say to you. The Lord has need of it. It's a beautiful picture here, what he's given to us. It's a beautiful picture. Could, could not have Jesus still have done that himself? Think about that. Could not have Jesus have done that himself? Could he have not Jesus have worked with those animals, had those animals hop over the fence and come to him? Could he have not have done that himself? Of course he could. He has power and authority over the animals. He could have had the animals come to him, come to me, and those donkey and the colt would have tamed him. He could have done that. Then why did he commission two people to do it? That's a great question. One day ask Jesus that. But what the Bible tells us that the two disciples went, that, that they obey. 
And they came back with the donkey and coat. They, they listened to Jesus. And Jesus throughout his life was taking the power that was invested in him. And he says, all the authority has been given to me, and now I'm going to give you some of that authority is what he says. And I want to illustrate that, a couple illustrations, where we see that he's given us authority. One of us in Luke chapter 10, Jesus was sending out the 72 disciples to make more disciples. And he says in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. I've given you authority to do this. In Matthew chapter 10, he sends out the, the 12, says the same thing. In, in John chapter 20, after the appearing, Jesus said to the disciples, go, and by the way, you have my authority. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Go with my authority is what he's saying. You have authority. In Matthew 16, he said the same thing to Peter. In Matthew 28, this is the one that's most significant to us. He's sending out his disciples. It's our memory verse for this week, Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. But I want to read verse 18 with it because it's important to our passage this morning. Where Jesus says this, all authority, he doesn't say some authority, he goes, all authority in heaven on earth, means the universe, has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the Father of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of this age. So Jesus was sending them out just like he sends us out. That great commission is not only for them, it's for us. He, he sends them out. He says, I have all authority. Now I'm giving you authority. And the question I have is, why? Why would he do that? Why would God, Jesus, who has all authority, who, and can do anything and everything without us, why would he then say, take the time to invest his purposes in broken men and broken women, all of us, why would he do that? Why would he possibly do something like that? It seems like it takes too much time, right? Working in our wives and all that. It seems like it just takes too much time. Could not Jesus, if he wanted to make disciples, and he says, I, I want to make disciples, and so what I'm going to do, I'm going to make 10,000 disciples a day around the world, and I'll do that. And the Holy Spirit works independently in the lives of those people, and those people come to know Jesus without any help from us. Could God do that? Absolutely, God could do that. Then why didn't he? Why didn't he do that? Because he could. Seemed like to me, it would have been much easier, wouldn't it? He could just do that. Why didn't he? Because it tells us something about our God. It, it tells us we have a God who's personal. We have a God where he, he could do that all by himself. He's chosen to use broken middlemen and broken middle women, all of us, to accomplish his purposes. That allows us to experience the joy of ministry. Can you imagine that? God says, I want you to experience the joy of serving me, of joy of reaching the lost, of joy. He says, I want you to experience that. And he gives us that opportunity to have that joy. One of the joys that he says, I want you to have, because there's nothing like it, to be serving the Lord in the joy of ministry. And, and then tells us a lot about Jesus, too, and that where Jesus created us to bring him pleasure. And in Jesus, in the process, he allows us to have pleasure in him, doesn't he? We're to bring him pleasure, but as we're walking with Jesus, we have pleasure in him, don't we? It gives us great pleasure. And to be a part of this incredible enterprise, this incredible church, this kingdom that he's building, where people's lives are changed and eternity is altered, and we get to celebrate with the angels in heaven of people coming to know Jesus just to have a little piece of that. That's what he's giving. Can you imagine God? He says, I want you to have a little piece of, of what I'm doing. He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to do that. 
what he does that. He said, I want you to share with me in just this little piece. I want you to celebrate with the angels in heaven what I'm doing. I want you to see it. Aren't you glad that we have a God, Jesus, who has all authority, but will give some of it up and invest in us to accomplish his purposes and his plan here on this earth? You should be, because he doesn't have to do it. He doesn't have to do it at all. He could do it all by himself. And to me, it would be so much easier than working with stubborn people like me, right? Broken people like us that he has to fix and constantly has to deal with to accomplish his purpose when he could just make it happen. But that tells us a lot about our loving, gracious, merciful God who forgives us and never gives up on us to accomplish his purpose. So you and I can just experience a little bit of the joy. So we can experience a little bit of what it means to follow Jesus, of how he's building his kingdom. We get to be a part of that. It's a great benefit. It's great to see that God loves us like that. He says, I could do it without you, but I want you to experience what I'm doing. We get to be a part of this great purpose and plan. Amen? I want to share with you one more thought. And Jesus was coming down the Mount of Olives. The worship was going on. People were praising him. It was an incredible time, incredible time of worship. And Jesus made it clear he has all authority. I have the keys to death and Hades is what he's saying. And there you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear in life because I hold the keys to death and Hades. Nothing can happen to you. I have all authority, not only heaven, but of death and Hades. I have control of that. When you read the Gospel of Mark account, I just want to put this in here. It says, just says, mention the colt. doesn't mention about the colt and the donkey. There's not a discrepancy there. There's a donkey and a colt, and they went and got them, and they placed their coats on him. And it says when they placed their coats on him, their coats, their cloaks on him, Jesus went and sat on them. He wasn't sitting on both animals. We get more detail in the book in Matthew. He was just sitting on the colt of the donkey, right? Gives us this. He was sitting on the colt, but scriptures are filled, and he's riding in to Jerusalem. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture. We need to see this picture. He's riding into the city of Jerusalem, down from the Mount of Olives to this golden city. He's coming in. It's a beautiful picture that we see, we read in 1 Kings chapter 1. It's a beautiful picture of coronation where David at that time got the high priest together, got the chief priest, and got all the prophets together, and he said, it's going to happen, it's time. He says, well, I'm going to pass my kingdom from myself to my son Solomon. So he had Solomon, it's going to come, and he's going to ride on an animal, it was David's mule. He put him on David's mule, and he's going to ride into the city, and then he's going to be coronated as king Solomon was. So when it happened that morning in Jerusalem with Jesus, this was a picture of a new king and a new kingdom. Fulfillment of prophecy, what was happening there. A new king and a new kingdom being coronated right there. Jesus was coming in. And so therefore we don't have to be afraid because we, we acknowledge the authority of Jesus, of King Jesus, who has all authority, right? Has all authority is what the Bible is saying. Is. So let me ask you a question. When you think of Jesus, you think of authority and power. Hopefully you think that way. Because he has authority, all authority and all power. He's not limited in those areas. Are, are they the same? Are authority and power the same when you think about that? I would suggest there's a difference. Authority is that capacity based on position, all right? Uh, I have authority here at Crossroads, but that's not based on who I am. It, it, it's based on the calling of God in my life some years ago, and it's based on the people some years ago recognize that calling. He asked me to do a pastor. So that authority I have here at Crossroads, not based on me, it's based on God, and it's based on the people at Crossroads who allowed me to lead, right? That's authority. That's authority. Uh, if there's a traffic jam, 
and you're in this traffic jam, and some guy gets on his car, and he starts directing traffic, you go here, you go here, and you look at him and say, I don't want to stop. He's telling you to stop. I don't want to stop. Why, why should I stop? I've got places to go, so you don't stop, right? But if the guy gets out of his car, and he has a police uniform on, and you see his badge, and he puts up his hand and says, stop, it'd be a good idea to stop, right? What's the difference? What's the difference? It's position. It's authority, right? His position is authority, right? That's why we do that. But I think power is not based on position. It's based on principles. The capacity of practice is what it is, is power. Let me illustrate that uh, through a story found in Luke chapter 9. It's another time where Jesus was coming down the Mount of Olives. He's coming down, and a man approached him and says, Jesus, could you heal my son? His son was possessed by an evil spirit, by a demon, and he says, could you heal my son? He says, the disciples tried to do it, but they couldn't do it. So Jesus heals the man's son. He heals him. No problem for Jesus. He heals him. Let me ask you a couple questions about that. Was it God's will for his son to be healed? Yes, absolutely. It was God's will for his son to be healed, right? Did the disciples have the authority to heal him? Yes. Yes, he did. He's given them the authority. I read you the passage of Scripture. God says, I've given you authority to heal him. Then why couldn't they heal him? They had the authority, but they did not have the power. They did not have the power. Jesus said that comes only by prayer and fasting. That's a practice. That's a discipline as we see that. See, just because you have authority don't mean you have the power. It comes by practice and discipline and walking with Jesus. So you read another passage here. And let me give you another question. Well, this one's going to be a little harder. This one's going to be a little tougher. Is it possible that all of us want the power of God in our lives? I bet if I went around and asked you all, it would be unanimous. You'd all say, yes, who doesn't want the power of God in our lives, right? We all want it. But we're not too crazy about the authority of God in our lives, are we? By power, I, I mean we get in those situations where maybe a relative has cancer or we have cancer or something's going on. We want to pray to a God who's so powerful that God that you would use that power and that you would remove that cancer from their body, my body, who was ever body. We want to pray to God like that about his power. Or we get in a situation where it's a financial situation where you lost a job or something. We want to pray to God that has that kind of power. God, help me in this situation. Help to meet my needs or at least get me through that situation, right? In situation after situation, we want the power of God in our lives. Amen, don't we? I mean, let's be honest. We all want it in our lives. But we have to recognize the authority of Jesus in our lives. That is to go with it. Is it possible that many of us have come to God and, and asking for his power to get, him, get us through that tough situation that we're going in, that we're, that we're in, that very, very difficult situation, but we live our lives under, under our own authority? Is it possible that we're doing that? Where well, we have not recognized more than just theologically that Jesus has all authority. We just recognize it in principle only. And we still run our own finances. We still run our own schedules. We still navigate our own thinking and navigate our own relationships. I mean, do you understand what I mean? We've trusted Jesus. When it comes to, to, to the umbrella of his authority, we scoot out from under it. And we want his power, but we don't want his authority, right? Can, can you imagine God on the other end, end of listening to those power prayers where we say, God, I know you can do it. I have this situation in my life. I know you can do it. I've read it from the word of God, what you did in their lives. I've heard what you've done in other people that I know in their lives. And God, I need you to do it today in my situation. I need you to show your power. I need you to demonstrate your power. I need you to do it in my life. And out of desperation, we pray for that child who's sick. 
or we pray for ourselves, or we pray for a loved one who's going through a difficult time, or a time we're losing a job or whatever, and we pray that power prayer. Can you imagine a God on the other side of heaven listening? It says, you want my power? What about my authority? What about my authority? Will you allow my authority to be reigning in your life? Will you allow that? Will you live under my authority? So like the two disciples, you do whatever I tell you to do. Even if it's going to get a donkey and a coat. Simple as that. We go get a donkey and a coat, and you're like, what? What I got to do that task? Will you even go do something like that? Will you do something so minor as that for me? Will you rearrange your finances to honor me and give to me? Will you let me be Lord of your life? Will you trust me with your finances? Will you honor me there? Will you change your thought life? Will you honor me with your vocabulary? Will you do that with your life? It's a hard question, isn't it? But the answer is real easy. It's a one-word answer. It's either yes or no, right? But to live it, to practice it, it means surrender. That we have to come and we have to surrender to him. Everything, not some things. Not that we get to pick and choose what I'm going to surrender. Jesus isn't done. He says, I want it all. I want you to give me everything in your life. And, he, and he's not going to let up till you do it. Do you understand that? You can fight him all you want, and Jesus is not going to stop in your life till you surrender it all and say, yes, I'm ready to surrender it all in your life. So how do we respond to this? So I want to give you how we respond. And I really want to go over the three points in the message because that's how you respond. We respond by, let's worship Jesus who has all authority. Let's come to him. He has all authority, guys. You and I don't give it to him because we say, God, you have all authority. He does, whether we say it or not. Whether we believe it or not, he has all authority. So the next one just comes. It, we should just do it because if he has all authority, means whatever's going to happen in my life, Jesus is going to accomplish his purpose and his plan, guys. We can go fighting and kicking, or we can go surrendering to him. So the second was, let's get under the, under the umbrella of Jesus' authority. If you have something in your life this morning, if you have not surrendered to him, you say, God, I'll, I'll give you this, I'll give you this, but boy, I've got this closet over here. This is my stuff. This is my man cave. This is where I go and I do my stuff. Whatever it may be, this is mine, and I'm not going to give that to you. Surrender it to God today. Stop fighting him. Surrender it. Yield that to him. Say, God, I'm going to give it to you. Let him have authority in every area of your life. You're going to find it so much easier. God's going to wrestle with you, and he's going to make sure that you're not going to be happy with those things until you surrender. doesn't mean he's going to take them away, but that you're going to honor him with them, whatever it may be. Third, let's understand that he has given us authority. He has given us authority. And what a great week for that challenge, that he's given us authority to make disciples. Do you realize that? That's our purpose, is that you and I would now carry on and share with others what Jesus so graciously done in our, our lives, that he died on the cross for our sins, accepted him as our Savior. And others need to hear that wonderful story of what Jesus did for them, that Jesus has the power to save them by his death upon the cross. Amen? And we want to share that. Uh, in, invitation evangelism is the easiest kind. This doesn't get easier. We're all called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe you say you're afraid. You don't need to be afraid because Jesus has given you authority to do it. There's no need to be afraid. All you have to do right now, I mean, we should share the gospel, is just hand out invitations. Please come to the service. Next week, the gospel will be shared. So we're evangelizing. I'm going to bring you to a service where the gospel is going to be shared so they have an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So all you got to do is take this invitation, and I'm going to evangelize by inviting you to come to a service that they're going to hear about Jesus. And so if you could take these, and I say they're a ministry counter, they're back there at the info counter. If you could take them just to hand out and to be about God's great commandment for you and I, his great commission for us is to make disciples.
baptize in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit, and that's what we're called to do. So if you could do that, okay, amen? If you are here today and you don't know Jesus yet, it all begins with knowing Jesus. It all begins by you giving your heart and mind to Jesus right now. And if you are here today and right now, you need to understand that you're a sinner. All of us are sinners, separated from a holy, just, righteous, perfect God. And there's nothing we can do to approach him. There's a great gap between us and God. There's a separation between us and God because of our sin. And God sent his son, Jesus, to come to die on the cross for our sins. So you and I need to recognize a couple things if you're here and you don't know Jesus. First, that we're all sinners, right? And we're all sinners. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. And the next thing we need to understand is two things about Jesus. One, who he is, that he's the son of God, that he's God. And second, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He paid for all your sins. And if you come to understand that, you didn't come to understand that on your own, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that he's opened your mind and your heart to that right now. And that's called knowledge. That he's given you that knowledge of who Jesus is and what he did for you. But you got to take the next step, and the next step is applying wisdom to that knowledge by accepting what he did personally for you by faith, by coming and saying, God, I understand that Jesus Christ died for me. I understand that he's God. And right now, I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. And if you've never done that, that's your next step. Applying wisdom to that knowledge by faith, accepting Christ your Savior. If you have questions about that, please see me after the service. That's your first step. For all of us who know Jesus, all of us who know Jesus, we need to recognize that Jesus has all authority. Amen? You believe that, right? You believe that. And now we need to have him, allow him to have authority in our own lives, right? We need to come under the umbrella of that authority. And now he's given us, us authority, not to do our own thing, us authority to go and make disciples of all nations, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he promises to be with us. He promises to give those words that we share with others, great power and great authority that will change your person's life, the power of Christ. Amen? That's what will change them. To that loved one you've been praying for, to that neighbor you've been praying for, that co-worker you've been praying for, I wish God would change them. This is the way through the power of Christ. Amen? Let's go to the Lord and pray. Lord, he come and we praise you. We thank you so much because you are a gracious, good, wonderful, amazing, marvelous God. There is no one, absolutely no one like you. You love us, Lord, even though we don't deserve the love that you have for us, that unconditional love, that agape love. Lord, we don't deserve that, but Lord, we're so grateful for it. We're so thankful to you for it. That's all we can say, Lord. We're grateful. We're thankful. We can't pay you back. That great love that would move you, Father, to send your son for you, Jesus, to come and to go to the cross and to die on the cross for our sins. Can't imagine that, Lord. Can't imagine the love that you have for us that would compel you to do that. But the Bible tells us that it was love and a plan and a purpose that you came to die for. And nothing was going to thwart your plan. No matter how much mankind tried, no matter what they tried to do, your plan was going to be carried out. And when you went to that cross, Lord, even though Satan wanted you to go there and people wanted to put you there, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, God, it was you that placed your own son on that cross for us. That he died on the cross for our sins. It was your will that your son would suffer and die for us. Lord, we think of that love and it's amazing love. We can't comprehend. 
It's deeper than our minds will go, Lord. It's that love that you have for us. It's just we don't understand it. So, Lord, we're so thankful for that. We're so thankful for you sending your son. We're so thankful for Jesus dying. So, Lord, this week, may our hearts be filled with that thankfulness. May our hearts be filled with gratitude. May our hearts be filled with uh, just celebrating, rejoicing. What that means for us, it means forgiveness of sins and eternity with you. So, Lord, as we sing this next song, the Lamb of God, may our hearts sing it with everything that we have. Because, Jesus, you came to die not for yourself. You came to die for us. You took our place upon that cross. You were our substitute. You didn't deserve it. We did. We should have been upon it, but you did it for us. So, Lord, we come. We're so thankful to you. And by your grace, we've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. By your blood shed upon that cross. And, Lord, and then you died on the cross, the cross that we hold you there. That's what we're going to be celebrating next week, the resurrection of Jesus. Death could not hold you. You conquered death, sin, and Satan. So we're so thankful. So, Lord, we come to a God who's conquered death, who's conquered Satan, who's conquered sin, but a God, Jesus, who has all authority. That means, Lord, whatever is going on in my life, you have the authority, and you also have the power to overcome anything I'm going through. So, Lord, I pray that every one of us would understand that and recognize that in our own lives as we come to you. We're not just coming to a friend that's like us. We're coming to someone that's in a different category than us, that has all authority, that was able to create this world with your powerful words out of nothing. That's the kind of God. That's the kind of power and authority that you have. Nothing that we can uh, uh, imagine in our own minds and hearts, the power and authority that you have. Unlimited. Unlimited. Never running out of power and authority. So, Lord, if you have that kind of authority and power, let's, let's all be willing to yield to that power and authority. Come underneath the umbrella so we might live for you. Help us, Lord, to do that today. Help us, Lord, to have a week really where we spend time worshiping you this week. And Lord, we ask all these things in that wonderful, amazing name, in the name of Jesus, amen.